So there's a thing called wilderness therapy, or it's commonly called wilderness therapy, in which you take people out into the wilderness, you do all these wildernessy things, and it's this hugely transformative experience. You can condense years of therapy into the span of just like a week in the woods. And so I thought I would have Edil come on the podcast to talk about her experiences with it. Welcome to the podcast, Edil. Thanks for having me. Can you introduce yourself in full a little bit? Uh, yeah, my name is Edil Levitus. I'm an individual couple and family therapist in Seattle, and I work at a place called Modern Therapy Seattle. And previous to being a therapist, I spent about five years working as a wilderness guide and mentor for youth creating wilderness rite of passage experiences. Yeah. And to just talk a little about rite of passage, you know, we have these rites of passage in, in our lives, like mm -hmm. birthday parties, weddings, mm -hmm. graduations. These things are rites of passage. Uh, they're not just things that we observe in other cultures, like... Uh, you know what? What's commonly vision quests or right. these or uh, bar mitzvahs or something? Right? There's there's lots of different. Every culture has rites of getting your driver's license is a rite right. of passage. Yeah. Um, and um, so uh, you and there's a lot of knowledge and wisdom in our society and in psychology that looks at using rites of passage as a way to intensify therapeutic goals, you know, to, to say here is the passage, the, the, it's a rite, meaning a ceremony and mm -hmm. something that you're given, given that you've merit, you've earned it, you know, it's a pat, you've earned the passage from A to B, but, you know, like with, uh, you know, a friend of mine, her son just went through his bar mitzvah and it's this tremendous amount of work you have yeah, to do, you know, you have great. to memorize all this, you have to do the thing in front of the synagogue. You've got to, you know, there's just all these things and right. you have to earn it. Right. right. Yeah. And so the idea goes is that there's you before mm -hmm. there's the liminal period and then there's the you after. Right. And we, every culture has these. Mm -hmm. And so it must be something about us that desires this mm -hmm. and uh, benefits from it when it's intentional and mm -hmm. therapy fails to use this very much. And so when we use it, um, it can do a lot. And that's what you're doing with, with these, uh, rites of passage in the wilderness mm -hmm. kind of thing. My other, you know, big area of interest is how to combine, um, rites of passage experiences with therapy all right. Um, so, and before I went back to school to become a couple and family therapist, I spent, you know, about five years guiding and mentoring youth through rite of passage experiences. And then I worked in inpatient addiction treatment. So at a, at a women's facility and these women were there about three or four weeks. Um, and in some ways being there, the work that those women were doing in some ways felt very similar to the work my participants had been doing on these during these rite of passage experiences and that they were at this moment of intense transformation in their lives where they're trying to change everything. We've done episodes way back uh, about rites of passage mm -hmm. therapy with Paul Abadili. If yeah. you want to look, if we those would have been... I don't know, seven years ago or something. Wow, yeah. And he's a Antioch grad that I connected you with. Well, we actually worked together oh, before we started already. school, okay. yeah. 
And uh, his program is just for everyone to know is he, t- before he was a therapist and after, you know, and now that he's a grad, he still does it. He takes uh, teenagers and adults into the wilderness here in Washington and they have a few days where they're camping and they're, you know, bonding and talking and, and doing different kinds of exercises around like who do they want to be and Mm -hmm. what are their stresses in life and just evaluating their life. And it's very, it's very low key because Paul Abadili is a fairly low key kind of mellow. He's not in your face, you know, he just sort of sets up, you know, think about talking around the bonfire about different things, your feelings and this kind of stuff. And uh, then for a set amount of time, two to five days, depending on the program, Paul walks each participant, like five to 10 of them to some far off place uh, and sits them down or, you know, says, okay, this is your spot. And you're going to be here for the next two to five, whatever length. So for teenagers, it's more on the shorter end. For adults, it can be in the longer end. And you fast. You just Mm -hmm. have water. That's all you have. And then Paul, every morning, walks out and checks on each person for about five minutes. And... Uh, and you know, and Paul's like, if, if they want to chat, then I'll sit there and chat with them. But I encourage them to, you know, really, mm-hmm. you know, go the depths of the isolation and the fasting. And then at the end of the period of time, they, every, they go out and get everyone and they bring them back to the central location. You have another few days in the wilderness. Yeah, to like you, process all of it. Yeah. And, I just, I would never do it because I love food too much and I, I don't even like camping, you know, I don't even like, I don't even like glamping. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, unless it's for an eclipse, right? (laughs) For an eclipse. Absolutely. But man, was that, that was hard though. That was pretty rough. (laughs) But, um, and that was like, you know, in someone's backyard essentially. Uh But the, uh, you know, like my friends just got back from Burning Man and I'm just, and they're, and I'm just like, man, that just sounds so, I mean, ever since Burning Man started like in the nineties, I just remember thinking it just sounds so amazing. And I'm just, have you been to, I, I just, there's just no way I just yeah. can't too much. Yeah. Tenting with sand and dust oh, and <laughs> heat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So what was your program like? The one that you did. Oh, well, so I worked with Paul um, guiding trips uh, that are very similar to basically how you just described them. Um, And for the age group and the kind of layout of those, it's it's an amazing program. It still exists. It's called Rite of Passage Journeys. Um, the, The format of those is, you know, two weeks, sometimes three weeks backpacking. With this section, you know, kind of two thirds of the way through the trip where they're doing what you're describing, where the youth are, you know, picking a solo spot, preparing to go out on solo, figuring out like, what are my intentions for my fast and solo time um, going out and then, you know, coming back and integrating that experience back into um, basically a vision of, of what they want to live into moving forwards. Um and there's yeah. lesser fasting oriented, the called typically called wilderness therapy or something where 
they will take youth or adults into the wilderness for a week or more. And just the activity of being in nature and Mm -hmm. being away from your cell phones and the stress of life and bonding with people. I mean, you spend just a couple days with people, which, you know, maybe you can speak to. You become bonded to these people (laughs) in a way that you could never be otherwise. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's been interesting to work for, uh, I very briefly worked for a wilderness therapy company and to kind of see that model where I think what's special about um, a rite of passage experience is that you're doing some of what happens in wilderness therapy, but then you have this whole extra piece around um, making decisions about who you want to be in the world and then, you know, having time to see what else kind of comes out of that solo and fast time. Right. Um, Yeah. And well, and um, maybe you've talked, you know, on the podcast about wilderness therapy that, yeah, there's what you said. And then maybe like a weekly check in with a therapist where you have a session or a family session and then you go back. Yeah. Um, Well, it reminds me of a therapeutic technique in Japan in which that I read about. I don't know if they do it anymore, where businessmen would be really stressed out about their life and would go to a doctor or something because they don't really have the same mental health uh, mind or the same mental health sort of profession or something or as much in Japan, you know? Mm -hmm. So some guy, business guy is really uh, stressed out. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he's maybe depressed, anxious. He goes to his physician. The physician uh, would assign this, this treatment regimen where you would go into this calm, quiet room, a tatami room, you know, think traditional Japanese room. Mm -hmm. And you would be there by yourself for a week or however long. Wow. And all you would have was a broom so you could kind of sweep up or something. And you stay in the room the whole time? Yeah. Wow. You don't... Very interesting. No... This is probably even before they had cell phones anyway, but... And every day someone would come by just to make sure you're all right, you know? Yeah, right. So it's like a little retreat kind of... Retreat. Uh, and so the way that I thought about it was it does a number of things. One is, is, is that it gives you a chance to just chill, you know, and just like yeah. stop having to deal with things right? because we all know what that's like. It's just like this constant grind of just like, okay, got to do this. Okay. Next on to do this. Okay. Got, you know, get home, get to work. Okay. Got to clean the house, chores, sleep. Oh shit. Got to, every, you're behind the eight ball all the time, you know, and for some people mm-hmm. they can deal with that. Uh, most of us can't. Um, and so it gives a break. But the other thing that it does is it deprives you of life. You, you have, you're, you're so bored. Can yeah. you imagine how boring that would be for a week? Yeah. I mean, did you ever do the Paul Abadili fast and the, you know, by yourself? Thing? I've, I've, um, done one wilderness quest and it was, I spent three days alone. Did you get super bored? I maybe, but you know, you're, I was in such an altered state that because of the fasting. Yeah. I think so that it was like time both moved very slowly, but also like just kind of passed, you know, like I remember telling, you know, my partner about the quest and him being like, so what'd you do all day? And I'm like, well, you know, I'd like get up and hang out in what I called my living room and then walk over to the Creek and sit by the creek, you know, and then two hours would have gone by somehow. 
So and you wouldn't fall asleep because <laughs> to me I'd just be like, uh, I guess I'll just take a nap again or something. Yeah, a lot of the youth on our trips would take a lot of naps. Um, I didn't nap, but I did go to bed at sunset. Interesting. So that yeah, that was early, definitely early. Yeah. I was like, well, it's dark out. Um, did and- you get scared at all at night? Not really. It was actually, I think, a really good experience and just, um, you know, sitting very close with anxiety and learning more about my own anxiety, where it was like the, f- the fear of what it might be like was much greater than the actual experience. So I was like, oh, maybe nighttime's going to be scary. And then when I actually was there, I was like, well, this is fine. And I'm going to go to bed. I don't know what it would have been like, you know, if I'd stayed up. Um, cause that is a component kind of of the ceremony of the way wilderness rites of passage are done is that there's this, um, last night where you stay up as late as you can. And, you know, in some practices, you know, you'll face, um, the rising moon, you know, and, you know, watch it rise and like face one direction. I forget. So yeah, it rises in the, probably in the East and sets in the West, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, so you face the east, you know, until about halfway through the night and then you turn and you face the west for the second half of the night and it sounds really beautiful and powerful. And, um, I totally skipped that. So because <laughs> you were tired, um, I think it was like, yeah, I was tired. I was ready to go to bed, but I think I also wasn't, um, very curious about finding out what that fear would be like to like sit up you know, alone in the woods and like hear noises around me, which. So you're in the woods. Oh yeah. I was in the woods. So could you see the moon? No, no, I don't think I actually, I don't even remember. I remember. Yeah, there I'd was rather a... be like in, you know, I'm thinking like Eastern Washington. Yeah. Like that'd be awesome. Yeah. Like in the non woodsy area. But if I was yeah. in the woods at night, yeah, that'd be a little, cause there's a lot of noise. I grew up in the woods mm-hmm. in, in, Sammamish, Washington, what's called Sammamish now. Our house was completely covered with trees and woods, and you couldn't really see any other houses from our house. And uh, there's a lot of things that... Yeah, making that, noises. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things that, that make noise. There's a lot of nocturnal animals kind of crawling around. Right, so, totally. You know, none of them are going to eat you, and they're all terrified of you. Yeah. Even the ones that could kill you, like a bobcat or something. Yeah. But uh, still, alone... You know, you probably didn't have like a, like mace or a knife or anything, or did you have, I might've had a knife. I don't remember. Did you have like bear spray or anything? I don't think so. I had a whistle, um, you know, and people aren't that far away when you do these. It's like if you needed to walk or run somewhere you could, although, you know, doing that at night is going to be a little challenging probably. Yeah. How far? Like a mile? Um, no less. Yeah. I think probably most quests people are less than a mile oh, okay. from like their guide or base oh, camp okay. area interesting because in my head it was like really far out so so they could probably reach you in 10 minutes walk or something or less yeah i think for adult quests it's probably done you know there's a little more leeway with like if you want to walk pretty far out but you need to be close enough that like in an emergency someone's going to be able to help you pretty quickly yeah um so for my quest if you screamed would someone hear you yeah so, oh. from, you know, the idea was like if I blow my and when I and as a guide, you know, the way we would set, we would set people up on the beach 
an Olympic National Park and it'd be like, okay, the last person, I might not be able to hear them yell, but when they blow their whistle, the next person's going to blow their whistle and then the next, and we will hear this line of whistles, you know, and run. (laughs) And this has happened before you run down the beach, see a kid blowing their whistle and pointing (laughs) farther down the beach and you keep going, you know, until you reach the person. What happened? Um, I think it's happened maybe a couple times. The time I'm, I remember, I think somebody, um, had woken up very disoriented and was sort of, you know, having, I think very affected by fasting and was like, you know, had seen scary shadows and like heard a rat. Um, it was like, you know, I'm being told, you know, I think was sort of like having a lot of inner voices telling her like, you can't do this. And it was just kind of, yeah, I could see that freaking out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm so intrigued by stuff like this and yet I just can't see myself enduring it. Like I, there's so many times in my life where I'm like, okay, I'm on vacation. Um, I don't, you know, I was, I was just in Cuba last week. There's no cell phone. There's no cell coverage yet like apparently like next week uh at&t is going to start oh, having cell coverage wow. but um and i could have done the roaming but i was like how much is roaming it probably is going to cost a lot so i was just like oh, i'll just i'll just go completely off the grid mm-hmm. and so a lot of times where you know i didn't have anything to do and i was like okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna sit here and stare you know i'm just gonna have a good stare out over havana mm-hmm. i'm just gonna sit here and, you know, that would last maybe seven minutes before yeah. I was like, okay, that was a good. Yeah, that's enough. Let's, let's, let's start, you know, now if I was walking now, you know, walking through Havana, for example, uh, by myself, mm-hmm. I can do that for probably five hours, but, and not talk to anyone or not really do anything specifically entertaining, you know, right. but I'm walking Yeah, and I'm looking at things and I'm thinking there's a little bit of brain activity in that. Yeah. And you have like visual stimulation and, um, and just walking. I think I have this idea that walking probably generates just different thoughts than sitting still does. Mm. I don't actually know much about that, but, but yeah, just sitting in the same spot in the woods and just staring into the (laughs) greenery. I just can't imagine that I would do well with that. Yeah. I don't think it's for everybody. And I, Are you saying you're better than me? <laughs> no, I I really didn't want to do it. You know, it was a really interesting experience of deciding to go on Quest um, and then really not wanting to do it. I was not looking forward to being alone. I love people, so that was not super appealing. And I really wasn't looking forward to fasting. Um, and the fasting ended up actually not being a significant challenge. Um, Weren't you hungry, though? I mean, wasn't it... It was a lot easier than I thought it would be. I don't know if it would be this way every time if I I mean, I guess again, if you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no fridge, you know, it's just like there's no food. <laughs> so it's just so you're just like, well, you're not tempted by anything. Yeah. And basically, it's like every time you feel hungry, you drink water. So and that doesn't, you know, subdue the hunger for that long. But then you just keep doing that. And then so by, wait, you, you had a living room. Did you have a bathroom? Yeah, I had my living room area. My bathroom area was down the hall. <laughs> Um, yeah. And you drink a gallon of water a day. So that helps the hunger. And then by day two, I think the hunger's kind of subsided. I don't remember that while it was several years ago, but there's something else I was 
going to say about, oh, yeah, about boredom um, that, you know, part of the idea and a lot of this, these quests are kind of based on a lot of ideas from like Jungian, like depth psychology. Um, so that's kind of woven in there. And, you know, I think one of the points is like, well, what happens after boredom? You know, like you're bored, you're bored. And then what? Like what thoughts come up during boredom? What feelings come up during boredom? Sure. So some of what you're doing is like through the fasting and sitting still is like you're cutting out. I mean, like the like the tatami room, you know, you're cutting out all this stimulation. And then it's like, okay, in this expanse of emptiness, you know, like then what arises? And maybe there's something significant about that. Um, maybe not. You know, sometimes people will go on quest and be like, I don't know. I hallucinated about French fries. Like it wasn't particularly meaningful. People literally will hallucinate French fries. Yeah. I had a mentor tell me about a quest where she was like, you know, I saw a French fry hop by. I don't know what was important about that experience yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and sometimes people will be like, oh yeah, I didn't have a lot of thoughts and I had this one. So like for me, I was like, a lot of my quest was about confidence where it was like, oh, this is easier than I thought it would be. And I want to go to grad school. Those are like the things that came out of the quest was oh. like, I want to be a therapist. Yeah. I could imagine that would be what I would do is I would like think about committing myself to things that are already kind of bubbling mm -hmm. in me, like to a new workout regimen or <laughs> or a massive uh, redirection of my life or recommitment to this yeah, or that. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, you know, going back to saying like I was trying to, I was, I was creating a way to bring this into addiction treatment um, that it's like at these times of transition in our lives, a rite of passage marking and honoring and celebrating a rite of passage can be um, really powerful and help kind of like frame like, okay, where am I, what am I doing and where am I going from here? You have a two o'clock appointment, don't you? Mm -hmm. So we should wrap up. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Idil, uh, for coming to the podcast and talking about this. It's been interesting. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You were really nervous before we started. Mm -hmm. Was it as bad as you thought it was? It any? was just, no, it was not. <laughs> were, you, were you catastrophizing about, about podcasting? Um, maybe. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Everyone's always nervous, as, as I was telling you, and yeah. without fail, everyone pretty much right from the start goes, oh, okay, I can, I'm doing okay right now, you know, as long as we stay in this zone of having a conversation. I mean, it was comfortable, right? Yeah, it was fine. It's like having coffee, I think probably doesn't help, you know, with like Nerves. feeling super, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do. Mm -hmm.